You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Jordan Stern, uh, head of Blue Sleep. So they're a clinic that uh, will do home sleep studies uh, to help people that think they have snoring or apnea. And what really stuck out here, uh, Jordan told me that it's a, it's apparent to him that there's a billion, with a B, people around the world that have sleep apnea. 90% are undiagnosed. And sleep apnea is terrible. Uh, it robs people of years of their life, gives them dozens of health problems and this is all documented by scientific papers it's not just speculation so it was great to talk to jordan and the big takeaway there was that oral appliances essentially like these mouth guard looking things are much smaller and lighter and less invasive than i thought so uh, i have sleep issues and i think that um, i'm going to probably go visit jordan and do a home sleep study and uh, you know see if i need an oral appliance which i probably do because i I snore, and uh, I've done many things to improve my sleep, but it's certainly not optimal. So I'm going to probably visit him, but uh, that was one big takeaway for me there. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech and Finding a Genius Podcast. I have Jordan Stern. He's the co-founder of Blue Sleep, and they have a snoring fix uh, along with other sleep problems, it looks like. So, Jordan, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, what's the premise of uh, Blue Sleep? So... Um... A little background on myself. I am a head and neck cancer surgeon and uh, uh, took care of many very sick people for about uh, 15 years in New York City teaching hospitals. And uh, about 15 years ago, I was asked to consult for a company that had developed a home sleep testing device. And uh, as part of my consulting, I looked into what was happening with diagnosis and treatment of sleep apnea, uh, snoring being one of the most common symptoms. And I realized that this is a huge epidemic. One billion, with a B, people in the world suffer from sleep apnea with 90% of those people undiagnosed. Um, And at the time, uh, I... Uh, was involved in some startup companies in Europe and realized that uh, perhaps I should think about starting up a company that would start uh, making it easier for people with sleep apnea and snoring to be diagnosed and treated because uh, back then and even now in most parts of the world, except perhaps the lucky people that come and see us at Blue Sleep, it is a long and difficult journey to get diagnosed and treated and it really shouldn't be. That's my long answer. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's great. Um, what is the clinical definition of apnea, you know, for people listening? Sure. So uh, everybody knows what snoring is because everybody at one point in their life has either snored or more likely has heard somebody snore or slept with somebody who snores. Uh, apnea in Greek means no breath. 
And sleep apnea is a condition that happens only when people are asleep and they stop breathing. And the reason they stop breathing is that they're trying to breathe, but their throat is uh, closing down and they're essentially suffocating. And sleep apnea, uh, for people who have it, uh, is a repetition of these events throughout the night, which frequently can happen 20, 30, 100 times per hour. Yeah, that's crazy. And, and an apnea is defined as what a cessation of breath for, I believe, 10 seconds or more. Yeah, so that is uh, the the definition that is used by the doctors and the the technicians that score sleep studies, 10 seconds without breathing. Uh, but the sleep, sleep apnea is defined as a combination of lots of other events. Uh, some of the names of the other events are hypopneas, meaning that your breathing slows down and has a similar effect to an apnea when you stop breathing. And a hypopnea is you're trying to breathe, but your breathing slows down so much that oxygen in your blood drops. So when people um, take a home sleep study or a study in a lab, one of the things that's measured is how many times do they stop breathing and how many times is their breathing uh, slowed down so much that oxygen drops in their blood. And, and those are the, the events that you may hear me talk about uh, during our discussion. Those events are either hap- apneas or hypopneas. So when we're awake, what's our typical oxygen saturation? And then for a healthy person, what's their typical when they're sleeping? And then what's a someone with a disorder like apnea have? So somebody who has no lung disease, uh, no uh, asthma or no COPD or any other issues with breathing has uh, should have an oxygen saturation in the range of about uh, 95% or more. And it should definitely not be below 90%. If you are awake and you hold your breath, uh, probably after 30 seconds, your oxygen saturation is going to start to drop. And um, when you're asleep uh, and you have repeated episodes of apnea and, and repeated episodes of hypopnea, your oxygen saturation is going to drop below 90, below 80, below 70, and even below 50 uh, or at, uh, at about 50, uh, and as soon as it drops enough, your brain is going to wake up and startle you out of sleep and make you feel like you're panicked with your heart pounding up your chest, and that's because uh, your body has woken you up so that you can breathe, because of course, if you don't, you die. When uh, do people experience negative physiological effects? Like, what, at what levels of oxygen saturation? And are there you know, I would guess there's more pronounced effects the lower you go. So, so that's true. So there, there's two big effects uh, from sleep apnea. One is the effect on what I would call sleep deprivation. So the repeated episodes of difficulty breathing will interfere with whoever is uh, sleeping from um, cycling through the normal stages of sleep. Because as I described just a minute ago, if you are awoken, startled out of sleep because you're not breathing, your brain is going to wake up. So um, for patients that have uh, sleep apnea, it doesn't need to be severe and you could even not have any oxygen drops. But if you're struggling continuously throughout the night to breathe, even if your um, oxygen doesn't drop that much, your brain will never get the deep sleep and the REM sleep that it needs to make you feel rested in the morning, to allow you to function properly the next day. To answer the second part of your question of the negative effects of low oxygen, the as you suggested, the lower the drops in oxygen, the more likely that you are going to develop 
some of the side effects of hypoxia or low oxygen, which are going to contribute to heart disease, to uh, stroke, to diabetes, and to various other chronic medical conditions. So um, is there a metric of how low you go that causes you these problems, or is it the residence time you spend at lower levels of oxygen saturation that's really the, the big problem? Well, it's a combination, and, and generally people who, anybody who drops their uh, oxygen saturation very low, it's usually happening because they have many repeated episodes of, uh, of uh, apnea, so they have very severe sleep apnea. Uh, you won't see somebody who just drops their oxygen once at night. It's usually repeated, repeated drops in oxygen, which lowers the oxygen levels to, to lower and lower levels because you really never have time to recover. Um, so um, it, it's something that is, is, is uh, coming uh, to light in more and more studies uh, and, and is the discussion in a lot of the medical meetings that it's not just the number of times that you have events uh, per hour of apneas or hypopneas, but it really is how far does your oxygen drop? Uh, and that's not something that's been specifically evaluated, but it's clear that uh, the further it drops, the more likely you are to develop uh, you know, heart disease, sudden death, strokes, etc. And if someone has apnea, does it tend to be progressive, you know, meaning the apneas get longer or more frequent, or the body's ability to waken from an apnea and stir itself and breathe again gets diminished? I mean, yeah, all three of those things. No, not really. Interestingly, because 90% of people with sleep apnea are undiagnosed, um, and uh, a recent study in Switzerland has looked at what percentage of the population has moderate to severe sleep apnea, and it's probably the best study to date published in The Lancet in 2016, and they found that 50% of men over the age of 40 have moderate to severe sleep apnea. So that's very significant. Um, and in general, sleep apnea gets worse uh, because of the risk factors for sleep apnea, which you haven't asked me about, but one of the big risk factors is weight gain. And in general, people tend to gain weight as they age, and the more weight you gain, the more likely you are to uh, develop sleep apnea and to have worsening sleep apnea. So in time, it's usually factors it's factors such as weight gain or other risk factors that we can talk about um, that make the sleep apnea worse. So um, Blue Sleep will provide home sleep study kits or do you also have sleep labs where you have people come and do a sleepover? So uh, I'll answer that question by um, uh, telling you that uh, we have been doing uh, home sleep testing for 15 years, although um, 30 years ago, uh, I had already been working with some companies that were doing home sleep testing. Uh, for the diagnosis of sleep apnea, there's almost no reason to do a lab test. Uh, sleep labs are interesting, but as, uh, as, you, would as you would suggest from uh, the term sleep lab, it is a laboratory. Uh, it is a very uncomfortable place to sleep, a very unnatural uh, situation uh, for sleeping, and worst of all, it records only one night of sleep. And lots of patients will ask, well, doctor, I just slept one night in the sleep lab and it was the worst night in my life. How can you make a decision about my sleep quality based on that? And you know what? They're absolutely right. To answer your question, I do not own a sleep lab um, and have done sleep studies um, 
uh, home over 15,000 home sleep studies. And in many cases, our patients will benefit from having multiple nights of sleep evaluated. Now, home sleep testing is mainly for the diagnosis of sleep apnea, uh, not other disorders and other uh, sleep disorders. Although we do have other home sleep testing uh, devices that we use uh, to measure brain waves and, and gives us information about people who may have narcolepsy or other types of uh, disorders. But in most cases, it is absolutely not necessary to put somebody through the discomfort of a sleep lab and the extremely high cost of doing a study in a sleep lab, which is usually 10 to 20 times more expensive than doing a home sleep test. Well, it makes sense. I mean, I guess one maybe funny or not so funny anecdote is, um, you know, I go to bed really late, probably like two, three in the morning, 20 years now. And I spoke to a sleep lab and they said, oh yeah, you got to be here at nine o'clock and you'll go to sleep and we kick you out at like six in the morning. I said, that's not going to work for me. I don't go to bed till this time. And you can't, if you kick me out then, I won't sleep at all. And they're like, oh, well, I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do. Of course. I guess I'm not coming. Of course. You know, you're absolutely right. Um, The, you know, the, the, the kind of the status quo sleep industry and, um, and doctors other than myself uh, have worked out of sleep labs are used to doing it like that. and They're not interested in doing it any other way. We recently published a study uh, that we did with Fitbit evaluating how good is a Fitbit at diagnosing sleep apnea. And you'll find uh, probably next year uh, that uh, Fitbit may be releasing a version of their trackers, which has the ability to detect sleep apnea. It's public information that they have um, uh, put out a request to the FDA for, for their devices to be able to uh, diagnose sleep apnea. Hasn't happened yet, may never happen, uh, but uh, it's certainly, I would say, the wave of the future. So not only are sleep labs the past, but I would say that even home sleep testing is going, at least at Blue Sleep, to be the past in the near future. So what's, uh, what's involved in a home sleep test? What does it look like and how many nights is ideal? So a home sleep test, uh, there are many different kinds of and different versions of uh, devices. There are uh, devices that um, you can place on your finger and they will look at the, uh, the pulse in your finger. And from that, they will deduce whether or not you're having uh, sleep apnea. Those are called indirect testing for sleep apnea. So they're, they're not really measuring airflow in your nose. They're not measuring movement of the chest to see if you're actually uh, breathing, but they are uh, making a deduction about whether or not you have sleep apnea based on the pulse in your finger. Um, and that's one way to uh, test for sleep apnea. Most of the devices that we use are actually measuring direct airflow from the nose with uh, what we call a cannula, which is just a little sensor that fits underneath the nose and looks at airflow through the nose. Uh, There's a a soft belt um, that fits around uh, the chest to look at chest movement, and then a sensor on the finger to look at oxygen, and all that connected to a very small recording device that's about half the size of a cell phone. It's a wearable device, so you're not connected to wires in the wall or your night table. It's a wearable device. Um, The instructions are quite simple. Uh, Our staff explains to the patient uh, how to use the device, and we ask them to come to the office so that we can show them how to use it. And 
we'll give the patients uh, the opportunity to do one, two, or three nights of sleep testing. And, you know, it depends on the personality of the people that are coming in. You know, lots of the patients that come in are pushed in by a bed partner and they don't want to be here. And the last thing they want to hear is that they have to do a sleep test three nights in a row. Uh, for 95% of our patients, one home sleep test will be sufficient. It uh, weighs less than one pound and it uh, fits in a very small bag that uh, it really uh, not a nuisance uh, to anybody. Um, I have personally done lots of sleep tests on myself to test out the technology and um, it's definitely something that's very, very easy to do. Not a nuisance at all. Is it better to do consecutive nights or to skip a few nights? Would that give you a different reading? So the reason to do multiple nights is that um, for people that have mild sleep apnea, it may show up on one night and it may not show up on another. So when we see people and we suspect that uh, they are very, very likely to have sleep apnea because they've described uh, the fact that they've been snoring forever, they've gained a lot of weight, they've been told by people they sleep with that they stop breathing for almost a minute at a time. Uh, I have been able to diagnose sleep apnea literally in a 20-minute nap, and we've done some studies looking at that. Now, for somebody who says that I have good nights and I have bad nights and uh, I tend to have nights where I sleep worse when I eat a heavy meal or when I drink alcohol, we'll tell them, well, why don't you do several nights? And on one night, uh, if you are going to have alcohol, make sure you, you make a note of it in your notes that on this night you had one or two glasses of wine or one or two whiskeys and let's look at the results and then uh, on another night maybe you haven't had anything to drink or maybe you take a medication that you think may affect your sleep apnea in one way or another. So that's one of the reasons to do multiple nights. Uh, I usually tell patients, you know, whatever your usual bedtime routine is, don't change it. Don't make it better. Don't make it worse. We want to get an idea of really what's going on. Right. If you're on your best behavior, what's the point? Makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So did, did you say that you under you had one or you, you were going to have one or you didn't do one? <laughs> I had one and I looked at all this stuff to myself and I kind of put the box of stuff, you know, on a pile of other stuff and then I didn't get to it. My wife did. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah. She, they didn't, they, see, this is what I was going to ask you is what if you have hypopneas that are five seconds or apneas that are five seconds. So you're not labeled as having sleep apnea, but you're still not getting restless sleep. Do a lot of people fall into that category and what happens? So that's a very good question. And the, and the answer to that would be that that's somebody who does not meet the strict medical criteria for having sleep apnea, um, which to be honest with you, um, are primarily used by the medical or the health insurance companies to decide whether they're going to pay for treatment or not. Because for those of us who treat lots of patients with sleep apnea and snoring, a patient who snores and who does not have sleep apnea on a sleep study may have very poor quality sleep. And the very poor quality sleep may not only affect them, but it may certainly also affect their bed partner because they're snoring. And there are certainly lots of studies out there showing that snoring without sleep apnea is a uh, risk factor for daytime functioning and a health risk. So to answer your question, uh, people who snore and who come to blue sleep and don't have sleep apnea, we take, we take it very seriously. We treat their snoring. And most of those people find that they have a significant improvement in their quality of life. In fact, in some cases, the uh, poor quality sleep 
from snoring can affect your daytime functioning in terms of memory, in terms of concentration, in terms of mood, in terms of personal relationships, in terms of performance at work. So um, very significant um, impact of poor quality sleep, even if you don't have sleep apnea, but you snore and that you snore habitually. In terms of uh, treatments, you guys use CPAPs or oral appliances, you know, hypoglossal nerve shocking tongue things. I mean, what's typical? (laughs) Okay. So that's a good question. So um, the vast majority of people who go see a sleep doctor, whether it's in in the United States or in Europe, will be told that the only treatment is CPAP. Um, and I would say that that's almost a lie because uh, anybody who treats sleep apnea and calls himself a sleep specialist and reads the medical literature knows that that's not true. Uh, from my background uh, as a surgeon and an ear, nose, and throat specialist, um, I have a particular interest in what we call the airway, which is uh, the nose, the back of the throat, the deep part of the throat, the mouth, the space that air travels to from the outside world into the lungs. And while CPAP is used in our center for patients that have very severe sleep apnea, we recognize that most people who have CPAPs don't use them. And frankly, if I had sleep apnea and I was told that that was the only treatment, I would probably not use it. Now, as a result, the vast majority of our patients who don't have very severe sleep apnea, we treat with oral appliances, with mouth guards that are custom-made. Uh, We take digital impressions with a little wand that we put in the mouth, and we get three-dimensional reproductions of the upper and lower teeth. We take that file, we send it to a lab, they make it, and they send it back to us. It's a very easy uh, way to uh, treat people with snoring, people with mild sleep apnea, people with moderate sleep apnea, and people with severe sleep apnea who don't want CPAP or who have been unable to use CPAP. Uh, I will also mention that because we are a medical center and we accept medical insurance, this treatment is a treatment that is covered by medical insurance. So in the world of um, oral appliances, the oral appliance is what? It's pulling forward your lower jaw a few millimeters to keep your airway open while you sleep? So what the oral appliance does is that it, pre- it, it really prevents the airway from collapsing because anybody who has sleep apnea is able to breathe during the day, right? It's only at night that they have problems. And that's in part because of the position. So if you're sleeping on your back, your jaw may drop. And because your tongue is connected to your jaw, your tongue is basically suffocating you at night. And, and, and that's the most common cause for sleep apnea. Some people have very big tonsils. And if you remove the tonsils, uh, that uh, will treat them. Or they have a very enlarged uvula. It's the little punching bag that hangs down the back of your throat. And in some cases, that may help. Usually not. Um, so, uh, the oral appliance prevents the jaw from, uh, falling back and, and the oral appliances that we use are all adjustable and we show our patients how to adjust them at home after we've delivered the appliance to them over a period of two to three weeks. They make adjustments to, um, control the snoring, uh, at night. They get feedback from their bed partner or from an app that they download on their phone if they don't sleep with anybody and they adjust the forward movement of the jaw so that there's no more snoring. Now, in many cases, they really don't need to move the jaw forwards that much. It's because the appliance, when you bite into it, prevents your jaw from falling back, even if your mouth opens. Uh, Again, we've tested all these appliances on ourselves, as I have, and when they're properly made and we use the 
what we consider to be the, the best ones, um, the ones that are the smallest, uh, that take up the least volume in the mouth and that have the most comfortable fit, um, you know, put it in your mouth, turn the light off, go to sleep and sleep better. And uh, let me let me tell you something interesting. I've been doing this for a very long time. I don't have sleep apnea because I've tested myself many times, but I snore on occasion. And my wife is, as my patients would tell me about their bed partners, you know, my wife is a light sleeper. <laughs> and I do sleep on occasion. And one day I decided I'm going to try out this new oral appliance. And I brought it home and I put it in. And the next morning my wife woke up and she says, I can't believe it. This was the best night in my life. I slept throughout the night. I didn't wake up once. And that was because I wore the oral appliance. Uh, so, um, you know, very effective, not just for people that have sleep apnea, but also for people that snore on occasion. And um, the thing about snoring is that if you snore on occasion, you probably know that sometimes you snore more and sometimes you snore less. I'm sure you know that. You know that if you have several drinks, you're going to snore more. You know that if you're very sleepy, you're going to snore more. If you have a cold, you're going to snore more. Uh, if you've gained five or ten pounds, you're going to snore more. And, you know, that would be the night that, uh, especially if with a heavy meal and, and, and drinking alcohol, that you put in an oral appliance, even if you don't have sleep. Well, I wanted to ask you, um, when you put in the oral appliance, are you biting it? the whole night or is it, is it fixing itself to your jaw and you don't have to do anything and you just relax and it stays in your mouth somehow and, right. and then so, the breathing itself where are you breathing from your mouth to your nose right so people so in order to breathe through your nose you have to have a nose that's open at night uh, and I can tell you I'm an ear nose and throat doctor as I've said before I've looked into I don't know hundreds of hundreds of thousands of noses some people have uh, congestion and deviated septums and nasal polyps. And no matter what you do, they're not going to breathe through their nose. So they have to breathe through their mouth. In general, it's better to breathe through the nose, but some people can't. Now, when you're lying down, uh, there's more blood flow to the head and more blood flow to the nose. And the nose can become more congested at night. Now, when you're wearing an oral appliance, the ones that we use are custom made. So they click onto the teeth and they hold onto the teeth. Even if you open your mouth, you don't have to bite into it. It stays on the top teeth and the bottom teeth. And um, you are able to breathe either through the nose or you can breathe through the mouth or both. Um, and, um, you know, uh, they're, as I said, very comfortable and they're made to stay on the teeth. So you don't have to worry about, you know, repositioning them at night. Well, that's good. And you don't have to breathe. They don't obstruct your mouth so that you have to breathe no. through your nose. Right? No, no, they don't. But, you know, there are many uh, different, there's probably a dozen or two dozen types of appliances out there. And, uh, uh, I mean, we've done, I don't know, four or 5,000 appliances, and we've been through many different companies that have had uh, more or less innovative techniques to make new appliances. And we're always on the lookout for a newer and better and more comfortable uh, appliance. Well, I guess, you know, the appliance has lots of holes in it or, you know, it's made like a Swiss cheese. It would probably be easier to breathe through your mouth. But I guess you'd have to make it so that you're not whistling when you're breathing. You know, it, it flows properly. And I'm sure there's a lot in, involved in the design of good ones. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, um, are you familiar with Invisalign? Invisalign treatments, you know, these very thin plastic yeah. uh, trays that people place on top. So, so some of the appliances that we use are barely bigger than that. 
Okay, so they're comfortable. You close your mouth, you know, you breathe through your nose. If you want to open your mouth, you can. Uh, so don't think about them as the big oral appliance, the, the big mouth guards that, you know, uh, football or basketball players use. It's not all what it is. They're very thin, very small. Um, and uh, in particular, one of the companies we work with is out of Canada, and they have the only computer-printed uh, appliance um, that's been out for now three or four years, and we've done thousands of those and, and uh, made out of very comfortable, thin, medical-grade nylon, uh, indestructible unless your dog's going to eat them, which they do. <laughs> tell patients to be careful for yeah, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but but no, yeah, they're, they're... years years ago, uh, you know, I had someone over that had dentures, and one of our dogs was chewing something. We realized it was he was eating the lady's dentures. We were horrified, so we just put it back in the water. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, dogs. I mean, they find that they that, that that's like uh, I mean that that's 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 like a, I mean ice cream sundae is the best thing they could possibly find and eat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're, uh, you, I, I would highly recommend that you come and visit us in New York because you sound like uh, you'd benefit from what we do and be happy to demonstrate how we do it. Uh, I tell all people that uh, most of the people who come and see us and have put it off for years uh, frequently tell us they can't believe that they waited so long uh, to get the treatment because it's profoundly changed their lives. Um, and, uh, you know, the side effects of untreated sleep apnea are, are, are really devastating. And, um, while I know that for most people, as I said, the journey to getting tested and the journey to get it treated is so difficult. It's really something we're trying to change here. And we're starting by changing it in New York city, which is a big city with lots of people with, uh, untreated uh, sleep apnea. We estimate that in New York City, one to two million people have untreated sleep apnea, and unfortunately, some of them were driving commuter trains several years ago, as you recall. So we're really trying to um, get the word out there that we have a very, very easy system covered by medical insurance to diagnose and treat, usually in one visit. Come and see us. We do the evaluation. We give people the home sleep test. They bring it back or ship it back the next day, and the first day that they come in, we scan their teeth. And, and then they get the treatment. And if their sleep apnea is very severe, it may be CPAP. But as I said, 70 to 80% of our patients are successfully treated with mouth guards that are very comfortable. Um, frequently, people say, oh, the mouth guards can change your bite. They cause, cause jaw pain. They can break your teeth. It's really the contrary. Most of the time, they protect your teeth. Most people with sleep apnea and snoring grind their teeth all night and break their teeth from that. Really? And yeah, and one of the nice side effects of the oral appliance is that it protects the teeth. Um, it also lets the jaw joint relax a little bit. You know, then people say, well, it could move your teeth and then your teeth aren't in the same position. Well, people pay four to $10,000 to move their teeth into a nicer position when they get Invisalign and they get braces. Uh, so here, this may or may not move your teeth, but uh, it'll certainly uh, give you many more, many more years of life. People with severe untreated sleep apnea, 50% of those people are dead in 15 years. Yeah. Um, for people that are, do you have a center only in New York? Or are you expanding to other places or is it just there? We, we are expanding to other places, but we're, um, we're still in New York City. We do have uh, licenses to uh, practice in, in other states, and we will probably be uh, developing Blue Sleep Centers in 2021 in other states. Um, we're still working on the workflow to make it as easy as possible uh, for patients to uh, get the relief of a good night's sleep. 
Uh, so we're really working on um, improving customer service um, by communicating with our patients mostly with texting instead of busy phone lines and all that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, working with insurance companies to negotiate the best deals so that patients can get an appliance at a very reasonable cost. Our cost is the lowest cost in the U.S. as far as we know. Uh, again, covered by insurance, you know, subject to people's deductibles, co-insurance, co-pays, all that kind of nonsense. But um, it's, uh, it's something that we know is, is, is needed. And um, so our timeline is multiple centers in New York, in for 2020, and then uh, probably California, Texas, and Florida in 2021, um, and then uh, also looking at uh, offering the service outside of the United States. And what's the uh, the near-term future of what you do? What's it going to look like? Like, how are things? You said Fitbit may be able to diagnose this, but like, how are you looking ahead, and what are you planning to do besides expanding? Right. So, so, so that's a that's a very good question, and um, you know, when we talk about expansion. Uh, and, and I told you uh, just earlier in our discussion that one billion, one billion with a B, one billion people in the world have undiagnosed and untreated sleep apnea. The question is, you know, how do we work with companies like uh, Fitbit, the tech companies, or companies, other companies? We've, we've had discussion with mattress companies that are very uh, good at communicating with the public on the importance of good sleep. And so uh, also for 2020, we're looking at partnerships with consumer-related sleep companies uh, to help get the word out there about what we're doing and to facilitate an even easier way for people to be able to uh, reach our services. So uh, virtual consultations, which we've studied and worked on for the past couple of years using telemedicine and asynchronous uh, video chats. So those are all things that, that we know are important because um, even if we developed 20, 30, or 100 centers, we'd, we'd barely be scraping the surface of uh, the huge number of people that need to be diagnosed and treated. That's true. So the best way for people to get in touch is visit bluesleep.com or what's the best way? Yeah, um, right now the best way is bluesleep.com. Um, our, our landing page has a uh, set up for a, uh, a chat and people can send us messages. It's, it's the best way to communicate with us. Uh, we have a lot of people that are flying through, uh, you know, the U.S. or flying through New York and will stop by. And usually in, you know, basically in 12 hours, they can get a consultation and a home sleep test. And in some cases, we ship the oral appliance to their home if they're traveling outside of New York. So, so it can be done. Uh, so, so right now, bluesleep.com and... Um, you know, as I said, 2021, uh, probably East Coast, West Coast, and uh, Southern Florida uh, in terms of coverage for our services. That's great. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. Thank you. Well, thank you. It was nice speaking with you. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, 
or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.